Hey church, Pastor Cody here, and I just want to say thank you for stopping by and joining us in worship today. And while we're super excited that you're hanging out with us for this message, we also want to remind you that this is really just um, a supplemental resource that cannot and will not replace the local church. So while um, we're, we're glad that you're here, while we're glad that you're encouraged and, and, and uh, challenged and shaped by the Word of God that's being preached today, we also want to um, let you know that this is really just a substitute and in no way should forsake the uh, gathering together of the local church body. We believe that the local church is God's plan A in speaking the gospel. So please come hang out with us here at rest um, this Sunday morning with us or um, go find another Bible-believing church. Jesus is preparing the church um, that's close to you um, and he's challenged you to get plugged in there. Um, Jesus loves the church and we love Jesus and we believe that we can love Jesus better by being locally connected and serving her well. So um, just jump right in with us and we're glad you're here. How are you? I want to um, I want to say thank you for coming. Uh, I know that like Cody mentioned that I was going to be preaching today and you still showed up. So thank you. Um, you're clearly not here for me. You're here for the word. Uh, he said that, I was like, oh my gosh. Um, but man, like, that series out of Psalm 23, I mean, um, I was, I was kind of sad that it came to a close. I really was. But, man, it, it's, it's really such a good springboard into what we're going into today. Um, like for those of you that uh, are new or maybe uh, this is like one of your first times coming here, my name's Johan. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, it is not who I am, it's what I do, because uh, we're talking about identity a little bit today, but, but we're going to be getting back into Romans, we're going to be in Romans 6, and, and what we need to know, like the book of Romans, like specifically like chapters 1 through 8, really deals a lot with like our identity in Christ, and it is something that is so foundational, like in our walk with Jesus in our walk as a Christian, in a walk in this new life um, that, that God has brought us uh, into. But the three little verses that we're going to be discussing today could not have come at a better time. It really couldn't have. But what I, what I want to do before really getting into this, because it's been a minute since we've been uh, in, in Romans, is... Is I'm going to give you like a just a quick synopsis on chapter five, and then we'll read eleven, and then uh, up to the portion of the three verses we're going to be today. But in chapter five, Paul tells us that that we've got this problem, and this this problem is sin, and that the sin has been dealt with, and we are no longer like on the hook for the payment of that sin, because Jesus paid it all. And so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to read like the first like two verses from chapter 5 and, and hear this because I absolutely love what he says here. He says, therefore, having been justified by faith, justified, what that means is you can stand before the Father with all of the things in your past just as if you've never sinned or ever will again. You're justified. So, having been justified, we have peace with God. There is nothing, nothing that can bring us to a point to where we will stand before him and tremble because there's peace. 
And this is through our Lord Jesus Christ, nothing that you've done. Through whom, through Jesus, we also have obtained our introduction by faith, by believing, not by works, into this grace in which we stand. And we celebrate in the hope of the glory of God. So we are justified. We have peace. And then chapter 5, like he closes it, and it's like super controversial. What he says is this, listen, listen, grace covers your sin. And where sin increases in an individual's life, grace increases all the more. And so this argument comes with the beginning of chapter 6, and he says, so there's an argument, it's like, well, hold on, Paul. Well, hold on, bro, because what you just said tells me that no matter what I do, grace is going to cover it. Well, dude, well, let's just go party. Let's just like live like the world. He says, man, you don't get it. You don't get it. So uh, Romans chapter 6, I'm going to read down through 11. But this is his response to this argument. And I can tell you, this can be a tough pill to swallow for some. So, Romans 6, verse 1, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? And he says right here, like this is like the strongest language that he can muster in the Greek. He says, by no means, may it never be. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? Well, I'm going to pause just for a second. I may be getting ahead of myself, but that's okay. This three-letter word, Sin is so misunderstood by probably all of us at least some point in our life. And what we're going to do is we're going to expose it for what it is. Because I hate it. By no means, how can we who have died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, we're baptized into his death. Like, you have no idea how significant that phrase is. We have been baptized into his death. We'll talk about that later. Verse 4. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Remember this for later. This isn't just some baptism little spiel that you say when somebody gets dunked and comes back up like this is so deep for if we have been united with him in a death like his this is literal guys this is not something that happens to you when this body ceases this is talking about when you are crucified with him this is in the here and now as followers of Christ. So if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his also. Six, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. That statement is huge. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Man, <laughs> right there, man, we could go home. Like, if we could understand what, just, what, what Paul just said right here, like, I don't need to say anything else. We can go. But I have to do 12 through 14 because we've got to move on. So. 
verse 7, for one who has died has been set free from sin. Man, I really want to move forward, but I can't with that. Uh, Verse 8, now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin, alive to God in Christ Jesus. Which brings us to our verses for today, 12 through 14. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. If we're all being real here, like as believers, and I think that we can be, as followers of Christ, like, we're continuously battling something. There are those battles, man, that we can just overcome. And there are those battles, man, there are those fights that we lose. And, and the bad part is, is, you know, some of those battles, temptations, like, whatever, fill in the blank. There are some that we fight, but man, but like our enemy is a master at deceiving us. And there are some of those battles that we lose. I really believe that we are fighting an enemy. We have an opponent that we truly do not understand. We're fighting a darkness that has plagued mankind since the beginning. So, the title of today's message is this. The Vicious Cycle. How to Win the Battle Against Sin. Let's pray. Father, I want to, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for the opportunity to speak. Lord, you know that I don't want to be here. Lord, you know my heart. I thank you that I am here, though. I thank you for those that have come. I thank you for those that are watching online as well. God, I pray that this hour, hour and a half would not be in vain. God, I pray that uh, that you would speak through me this morning. And may the truth that I know in my mind, may it be communicated by you through my mouth to help those that might hear. And I pray that ears would be opened and eyes would be opened and hearts would be softened to, to hear what you need to say. God, I trust you. I always have. Like even when my body doesn't want to, Father, I trust you. 
because I can't help it. God, you teach this morning. And I pray that (laughs) through the grace of God that your name is glorified this morning. Lord, I need you. We all need you. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So, So, before looking at today's verses, like there's, there, there's something that you need to understand. There's something that I need to understand, and, and maybe I'm just beginning uh, to. But this is something that may be foreign to you, maybe something that, that you haven't really fully grasped, or even just, you know, in one ear and out the other, and it's this, this cringe word, like this three-letter word, and it's the word sin. Now, I can guarantee you, because I did the same thing, you're sitting in that seat, it's like, bruh, I know what sin is. Like, I'm not stupid. I, I know what sin is. I mean, I mean, I said that same thing. But, it, it just side note, like, real quick, like, like, as we're talking about this, like, this isn't meant to be, like, a negative, uh, like, beating you down kind of message at all. Like, my goal through this is simply to give you the tools and the weapons necessary to fight that is at your doorstep, whether you know it or not. What, I, what my goal is, like through this, is to expose sin for what it really is. And I, I believe that we all know what half of it is. And I believe that we understand that. But there is something else that's fighting against you. I just had a puberty moment. I don't know if you heard it. Do you hear my voice crack? Great. It's on tape. Shortly to be on YouTube. <laughs> That's funny. Not really. Um, you want to know who my own worst enemy is? Thank you. It's me. <laughs> so. All right, so I'm trying to give you tools, weapons, like sharp ones, um, so we can fight this thing. But this message is just as much as being for me as it is for you. But, okay. So what is sin? Like, this question is highly relevant to these three verses. In fact, if you cannot see, like, what is going to be exposed here, you won't get it. I won't get it. But once you begin to see it, you'll be able to see sin for what it is and maybe understand a little bit more about its tactics and its strategy. So, in order to fight this fight, we must first truly recognize what it is. We must recognize our opponent. Like, how can any armed force show up for battle knowing nothing about the enemy they're fighting? They'll lose every time. So, what, this is one thing we've got to know. So, God is omnipresent, right? He is everywhere at the same time. Well, his, um, his counterfeit, Lucifer who became Satan, who wanted to make himself like the Most High, is a very powerful being, but he is not omnipresent, right? He could be at one place at one time, and how many of us have said, 
Man, the devil is really on my back today. The devil is really tempting me today. Oh, man, Satan's got it out for me today. Well, I've got news for you, and I've got news for me as well, because I've said those things. We are not the ones that he is is focusing on right now. Now, if we were in the Middle East, probably so. But Satan has something that we don't know. So, because he is not omnipresent, yes, he still hates your guts. Yes, he still wants to destroy you. But he needs a helper. And he's got one. He needs a soldier. And he has one that is effective, like super effective. So, when you think of the word sin, as this is probably what you of what most people think of. This is probably what you think of when you hear the word sin. You think of sin as an act. You think of sin as a verb. Murder, stealing, lying, jealousy, coveting, cheating, disobeying, pride. Sin is something that you do. Sin is something that you've done. I mean, can we all agree on that? Do you realize it is actually... Sin is much more than just that. Like that is actually a byproduct of sin. Huh. So, so one way that sin can be described is an action, a verb. The thing that you probably don't realize, that sin is an entity. As a matter of fact, like if, if, and I encourage you to go back and read all of chapter 6. And, I, and if you want to keep going, go into chapter 7. Because like what you are getting ready to hear will help you see exactly what Paul is trying to communicate. In fact, he discovers something huge in chapter 7. God, I wish we could go there. That wasn't me using his name in vain. I was like, God, comma, I wish I could go there. Because I don't use the Lord's name in vain. I just don't. It's, it's cringe when I hear it. Um, that's my wife's word, by the way. It's her favorite word these days. It's not? It's not your favorite word. Lying is a sin. It is a verb. <laughs> she didn't lie. She's just a saint who told a lie. <laughs> oh, man, I love her, but she hates me. <laughs> so... Sin is an entity. It is an it. It is a noun. It is a person, a place, or a thing. It is not just a verb, an action. It is a power. It is a power that fully reigns in life and has since Adam chose to disobey and eat the fruit. And it will plague a person until they die or the moment they meet Christ. It is the agent. It is the means that Satan uses against us. And he has until, or he has since Adam, chose to disobey in the garden. So, okay, so if if sin dwells in us, like, you have to understand, like, how you are built, how I am built Just as the Godhead is three parts, you also are three parts. You are body, soul, and spirit. Eh, I don't know about that. 1 Thessalonians 5.23, write it down if you want to check me. 
So you are a three-part being. You are body, soul, spirit. Now, when you were born because of your father, Adam, each individual part of you was fully sinful. Now, how many acts does a newborn commit? Zero. The unfortunate part is, not because of what they've done, but because of who they are, they are fully sinful. We are born with the sinful nature. The most natural thing that we do as humans, regardless how innocent we are, the most natural thing that we do is sin. Why? Because it is in our nature. It is in our body. It is in our soul. And it is in our spirit. This nature. This nature. Man, and there's some sweet babies, I tell you. There's some sweet little kids. But it is in them to oppose God. It is in us to oppose God. Because when I was born, I received Adam's nature. But at the point that I meet Christ, the old me is crucified. I know I'm getting ahead of myself. But the old me is crucified, and I receive God's nature. And you receive God's nature as well. Why do we struggle? Well, hang with us until Romans 7. We're just exposing the enemy today. So, when you meet Christ, your old man, your spirit and your soul, which is fully sinful, Ephesians 4.22, was crucified with him, Galatians 2.20, and then you are born again, John 3.3, and you are made new, 2 Corinthians 5.17. So, at the point of your salvation, you are given the new man or you are given the new woman. You are given the new spirit and you are given the new soul. You now have God's nature in your person. You now have the nature of God, a nature that is righteous in your person, in your spirit, and in your soul. And that's why he says about me and that's why he says about you God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him because once I am placed into Christ, once I am crucified with Christ, like that old man, my person, the part of me that's eternal is killed. And I receive a new man. I receive a new soul and I receive a new spirit. But, and this is, and this is what Romans 6 this particularly, like this portion is looking at, this body, this flesh, your body, your flesh, is a vessel that houses your soul and your spirit, the new man. But in my body, which is yet to be redeemed, it harbors the enemy. And I'm not talking about Satan. I'm talking about his soldier. Power of sin. So, circling back to what sin is. Yes, it is something that we choose. Yes, when we're tempted and we're deceived and we choose to do something, yes, that is sin. It is something that is unlawful and it is disobedient and it's something that goes against God's best for us but it is also 
And this is what we've got to know and understand for today, going into these three verses. Sin is the power that Satan uses against us to deceive us, to bring about temptation, to arouse sinful passion, to arouse lust, to arouse jealousy, to deceive us into either thinking proudly or negatively about ourselves, to form in us bad or hurtful habits that we must fight until the day we die. Remember those things as we get into these verses. So, uh, Romans 6, 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Leave that up there for a second. So do you see it? Let not sin. It's not saying, like, let not stealing reign in your mortal body. Can, can you guys see this? This is not a sin is a verb. This is sin is a noun. Let not the power of sin, let not Satan's agent reign in your mortal body, this flesh, to make you obey its passions. Remember, you are a three-part being, body, soul, spirit. Each part is individually and completely sinful before you meet Christ. But at the point of your salvation, your soul and your spirit are crucified with him. They are killed. Like, if any man be in Christ, the old things have passed away, new things have come. Like, we are a new creation. That is not uh, just some phrase he threw out there. Like, this is something that literally happens to you at the point of salvation. Sin still exists in your body, though. In the New Testament scriptures, like, like you've got to see this. You either see body or you see flesh. It's referring to the same thing. This will help you, chapter 7. So, so what Paul is saying in verse 12 here is, is saying this. Yes, I know the power of sin is still president, president, present in your body, bro. Take control of it because if you don't, it will take control of you. So it's funny, so I, I'm reading this, I was like, man, I've heard this somewhere, like, where was this conversation? And I had no idea, it was in the, way back in Genesis chapter 4. I'm going to throw it up real quick, if you would put, put that verse up here. Um, and I really like the way that the New Living Translation uh, interprets it, and I realize it's a commentary, but it, it really doesn't lose anything in that translation. So uh, before I read this, I'll just to give you a little background, like, like God is actually like speaking with Cain, like Cain and Abel, you know, Cain killed Abel, you know. But he says this, man, and it is so relevant to what we're looking at and to the next chapter that's coming, but he says this. So this is God speaking to Cain. He says, you will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Like, listen to this. Sin is crouching at the door. Not the action, but the entity, the power. So, so we can read it this way. But if you refuse to do what is right, watch out. Because the power of sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. Now, church, where does that power of sin reside? Somebody tell me, where is it? It's in our body. 
The power of sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. Now, I feel for Old Testament saints because they have, they lack something that we have, that we don't use. And that's the Holy Spirit. Like, the, when Jesus died, buried, rose again, the Holy Spirit came to live within every believer from the beginning of the church in Acts 2 until the end. Like, the Old Testament saints were on their own. We have help. So, this new person that we've received, this new soul, this new spirit, at the point of salvation or justification is now holy. The new man that I am, the new man or the new woman that you are is holy. We must get to the point to where we are able to fight the power of sin that still resides in this body. So, it says, let not sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. So now that we see what sin is, we're going to go into the first part of verse 13. And he is going to begin to tell us what to do and how to fight this thing. This thing that hates us and wants to destroy us. Do not present your members as sin. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. So this word member refers to any part of your body. And you might think it's your arm or your fingers or your foot or whatever. But there's, there's this part of the body that we really don't think of maybe as being a member. And it is something that is yet to be redeemed that I still have to use. And it's my brain. Now, my faith does not reside in my brain. My uh, choosing does not reside in the brain. My brain is a computer. It's something that's taught. So, my brain is a member of my body, my flesh. So when he says this, like, present your members to sin, like, what is Paul talking about? And I believe it is mainly, primarily, the first part is us presenting our brain to sin. So, hear me on this. If you put garbage, trash, filth into this thing, what do you expect to come out? The same thing. Well, hold on a minute. So you mean to tell me that if I delve into porn that this might lead to a sex problem in my life? Or do you mean that if I constantly compare myself to others on social media because it's right there, that this might lead to self-image problems in my life? If you are constantly feeding your brain garbage over and over day and night, 
What do you expect to come from it? Guys, do not go on presenting your members as, as instruments of unrighteousness. May we do it constantly, not even knowing it. <laughs> I have a confession to make. I downloaded TikTok once upon a time. I opened up, I was like, Whoa, delete, because uh, it was the very first thing that I saw. It was, well, you know. Now, I have something that goes well for me. My name is Johan. For those of you that are not familiar with that name, when you see it written down or typed out, it looks like Joanne. Most ads, when I am new to something, are lady stuff. You know, they just are. It's like, hey, Joanne, we really like to interest you in this, like, these form-fitting chick jeans. I'm like, you don't know me, but this tick, 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 tock, like, I'm looking down, I was like, oh, well, they know it. <laughs> it's an agent of Satan, so tick, tick is no longer on this phone. <laughs> I know it's not tick, tick, I just want to be funny. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I don't apologize. So, if you're constantly feeding your brain garbage over and over, day and night, what do you expect to come from it? I'll tell you. Garbage, confusion, anger, doubt, greed, despair, depression, and darkness. If we as men are looking at women that are not our wives, fiancés, or girlfriends in a sexual manner, one of two things is going to happen. One, the lesser of the two. You are going to lose that emotional attachment that you have with them. It is going to be hindered. The greater of the two. You're going to cave to the lust of your flesh, defile the marriage bed, and leave a wake of destruction in your path. I've seen it over and over and over. That's the men. The men aren't in a boat by themselves. Women. Um, I've been married a long time um, to some of you. And I like to think that I have a, a decent idea of the way women think. This isn't meant to be bad. This is meant to be uh, uh, helpful. If you as a woman are comparing yourselves to other women, and I'm not talking about occupational accomplishments. You know exactly what I'm talking about. When you compare your appearance to what you have been taught to think is beautiful or attractive, this is the part that blows my mind. Is women, they want to appear beautiful and attractive. And I'm talking about faithful women who are married happily. They don't necessarily want to look beautiful for their spouse or even men. Do you know who they're trying to impress? Other women. Men, we got to get over this. If you are constantly comparing yourself to the appearance of other women, do you not think that your self-image is going to be damaged? One more example. Men, women, do you find yourselves comparing your stuff to other people's stuff? Do I? Do you look at the accomplishments of other people and the things that other people have and crave them for yourself? Has the acquisition of things that perish 
consumed you to the point that a purchase is that only thing that brings you satisfaction, only to leave you empty, craving more. This craving, this lust, this coveting will leave you broken and possibly broke. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life will end you if you're not careful. So Paul says, do not go on presenting your members as instruments of sin because these things are unrighteous. Second part of verse 13. But present yourselves to God. So, so don't present yourself to sin. Present yourselves to God and those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of unrighteousness. So here's the key. This is the how, and this is what we do to fight those spiritual battles. First, don't mess around with sinful things, but go to God. Like, we have a high priest, Jesus Christ the righteous, that understands. He understands the struggles that you face. He was tempted as you and I are tempted. He gets it. He gets it. He gets it. He was tempted in all areas as we are. Yet he was without sin. So again, he says, present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. So this, this key phrase here is this, brought from death to life. So like this is not just some flippant phrase he just throws out there. This is going back to uh, what you are made of, body, soul, spirit. Like, he has brought you from death because you were dead before you met Christ. And he brought you to life. He gave you his nature. He gave you a new soul. He gave you a new spirit. So as followers of him, like, we might know his word, and we've got the Holy Spirit to help us understand it so that it comes by revelation. We can understand his teaching. This is something that is your responsibility. Like what we're doing here on Sunday mornings, what we do in rest groups and D groups, like all of those things are great. All of those things are wonderful. But they, its purpose is to spark something inside of you that you might pursue the author of the Bible so that you might pursue the creator of the world yourselves. You know, we as leaders, like, we, we can help you. We can point you the way, the right way. But the faith that we all have, the faith that you have, like, it belongs to us. Like, you can imitate my faith. Well, you might want to imitate one of the other pastors' faith. But, but you can imitate us, but that faith is ours. Because we've spent the time alone with the God of the universe. So... It's on you to spend that one-on-one -on -one time with the Lord. It is on you to spend that one-on-one -on -one time with him, like in the Bible. Like, this is, this is on you. And so I ask myself and I ask you, like, like, what time are you spending with him? This doesn't count. I mean, this is great. Don't get me wrong. But this doesn't count. Like, we will not as a body stand before the throne. We will stand individually. Right? 
I mean, yes, we'll give an account as teachers, as pastors, but you're going to stand alone. We're simply trying to point the way. So, present your members, submit your brain, submit your body to God. Verse 14, we're almost done. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law but under grace. So there it is again. Sin will have no dominion over you. Why? Because this sin is in this body, this power of sin, but it is not who I am. It does not define me. It does not define you. So to truly understand this verse, we must understand what sin is, where it was, what, what has changed, and where it now resides and it lives in our own life, and I hope that you're getting it. So to do this, you've got to understand the old man versus the new man. And this verse I was reading, is, oh my gosh, like you could almost take this verse, copy it, and then paste it at the end of chapter 7. The reason is probably not, it was, there was no copy and paste back then. Um, that was a bad joke, I'm sorry. So, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you a little bit about 7, 15 through 25. So Paul, like he is... Um, he is, he's perplexed about something. He's like, listen, he's like, man, like, the new man inside of me, like, man, he wants to do good. He wants to do things that are righteous. But he's like, I'm, I'm actually seeing that what I'm doing is the opposite. Like, I don't get it. He's like, like, dude, like, in my soul, like, I agree with the law. Like, I agree with everything that God is about. But why am I not seeing those things lifed out? in me. He's like, I don't get it. But then he's like, I see it. Because what I find is like, I've got something working against me. He's like, there is nothing good that dwells in me that is in my flesh. He says, listen, like, I am the new man. Like, I'm holy. Why am I not acting holy? Why do I struggle? He's like, oh, because I am still in this body, this new man, this new soul and spirit that is righteous before God, that is holy before God, still lives in this body. Now, the unfortunate thing is, is the body in itself bad? No. But it's something that resides in the body. And what is it? It is Satan's agent that has been deployed to fight us day and night. And it's the power of sin. He's like, oh, I get it. So, like, all of these sinful thoughts, it's no longer I who am doing it, but it is sin that dwells in me, in my body. So, so these evil thoughts, these sinful thoughts, these desires, these temptations, they originate in the body, in the flesh. Not you, if you know Christ, because you're the new man. It is the power of sin. This is not from you. This is not you. This is not the definition of you. You, Christ follower, are not the source of this evil. But what you've got to realize this is sin is Satan's assassin. He wants to kill you. He wants you to, to end it. So 
As I was typing this, like, I had this visual, um, and I was like, man, this is like, this is, actually, I thought it was kind of cool. So, like, think of it this way. When Adam chose to disobey God in the Garden of Eden, sin, the assassin, like, jumped at him and attached himself to Adam. Like, dude, like, to the core. It didn't just attach himself to Adam, like, hanging out in his back. Like, it consumed his body. It consumed his soul, and it consumed his spirit. Therefore, Adam was completely sinful. And because of his choice, sin entered. And through that choice, I was born dead. You were born dead to God because you are 100% engulfed in sin. Sin brings death. (laughs) And sin is no novice. It is a master. It knows how to play the short game and it knows how to play the long game. It knows how best to destroy you. It knows your weaknesses. It knows how to, how to deceive you and how to do it well. It knows how to get you to fall for something that will kill any chance of you ever being used of the Lord. It knows how to convince you that you are worthless and that no one loves you. It knows how to make you believe that Jesus wouldn't want you. Why would he? I mean, how, dude, you did What? Like, Jesus would want a part of you. Like, where is this coming from? Because this doesn't sound like the Jesus that I know. So, sin is crouching at the door, waiting to destroy you. Is lurking at the door, waiting for an opportunity to cripple you. Sin is mastered patience, and it will attack you when you are lowest. It will attack you when you are at your lowest to end your life, either by character assassination, ending a career of usefulness as a leader, or by deceiving you to the point that you think that your life is over. And there's nothing you have to offer this world. And there's no point in living another day and that you deserve an early death. Sin has been a problem since Adam and Eve. It reigns in the body of a believer, the body of the redeemed, the body and soul and spirit of the unredeemed, the unsaved, the lost. We're in a fight. A fight to the death. And we'll be fighting sin till death do us part. I just went to a wedding last night. <laughs> it was funny. The first step in your battle is understanding who you are in Christ. You, friend, are a son. You, Friend or a sister, a daughter of God. You are a friend of God. Friend of God, you are a brother. You are a sister of Jesus. You are a joint heir with him as well. You are holy. You are perfect. You are blameless. You are a saint. You are not, hear me, you are not a lowly sinner saved by grace. Yes, you are a sinner. Yes, you are saved by grace. But you are no longer that person. That's when Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. You got people getting drunk at the Lord's Supper. You got a guy sleeping with a stepmom. And how does Paul address them? He's like, holy saints. Because what you do does not determine who you are. You are not defined by what you do. 
However, who you are, son of God, a friend of God, a brother of Christ, holy, perfect, blameless, because of who you are, it has a tremendous impact on what you do. You are a holy saint. You are a child of the king. Man, you have got to see it, and we need to act like it. So, sin will have no dominion over you. I'm almost done. That sin that once dwelled in everything that you were was killed at the moment that you were crucified with Christ. Like, again, that's not just one of those phrases that are thrown out. Like, you and me were crucified with him. My soul, my spirit died on the cross with him. And it no longer exists. It does, however, dwell in the body, but this body is not me. The power of sin that dwells in me is not a part of me. Again, it does not define me. It doesn't have any authority over me. That is something that I choose to give up. By God's grace, sin and death were overcome, defeated in your life and mine. By God's grace, the penalty of who we were and what we did were paid for by his son. By his grace, when you When me, the new man or the new woman, sins, God's grace covers it. Romans 5.20, we are no longer slaves to the law and the power of sin and death. We are overcomers because of Jesus in us. We are overcomers. We can win this battle with sin because of Jesus in us. Um. The unfortunate part is, uh, for most of us, like this, this battle with sin is this vicious cycle. Man, it's over and over and over, and it'll wear us down. Um, so when I think about, like, strategy, you know, you know, Satan is a liar and a father of lies. He is a roaring lion seeking someone to devour like this guy has invented, has perfected deception, right? So as I think about his strategies and how I can be uh, aware and mindful, like I, I, was, I was thinking about something because, you know, again, Jesus was tempted in the way that we are, but I was thinking about something that happened right after his baptism. So immediately after Jesus' baptism, he was called to something. The Spirit led him somewhere. It led him into the wilderness, right? For 40 days, our God in the flesh didn't eat. I don't know if I could go four days and not eat. Like, my Savior went 40 days in his flesh. Suffice to say, he was weak. Sorry. So, so in his in his weakness, that is when the deceiver shows up. That is when Satan came in order to tempt him. Not when he was on this spiritual mountain, but man, like he was in the lowest of lows, and he was to the point to where like he might say yes to anything just to get some help. I mean, the guy's been walking in the wilderness for forty days, no food. So, so what we do is, like, we transpose this to our lives. 
So we are typically baptized right after that profession of faith, right? Um, and, and I had this image. You know, spiritual maturity is, is referred to just as human growth. Um, you know, when we first meet Christ, like we're spiritual babies. Man, it's like, and we got to be on the milk. So I see this spiritual baby that is weak and that does not have a lot of head knowledge. It, it, it is a new Christian with spiritual weapons that are too heavy to wield. And I hate it because do you think Satan cares? Do you think Satan's going to cut you a little slack because, well, you know, you don't know a lot? No. No. So, all that to say, like, temptation is going to come. It's first going to attack your identity if you are a son of God. And the next thing he's going to do is he's going to hit you man, where you're weak. He's going to hit you where it hurts, where you're defenseless. So, when you are young and vulnerable and impressionable and weak, the attacks are going to come. So what do we as followers of Christ need to do? Man, we need to press on to maturity. We have got to be about pursuing the heart of the God that wrote this Bible. We have got to get off the milk, man. You know, the sad part is you can go to Hebrews and you can actually see what things in, in the church world are described as milk. And I can tell you when you hear what it talks about, it's like, I thought that was meat, man. I thought that stuff was like spiritually deep, but it's not. We have got to be like Moses. We have got to be like David, pursuing the heart of God. And it will only happen when you're alone with him. It will only happen when you are seeking him, as Proverbs 2 tells us to do, seeking him in the scriptures. It will only happen in that one-on-one -on -one conversation that we have with him. So, we must press on to maturity, growing to the maturity of Canaan rest, growing to the maturity of how we can recognize and fight these spiritual battles. As John says in um, 1 John 2. So rest in the fact that Jesus fights this battle against sin for us because we are powerless by ourselves. We have got to learn how to deploy the armor of God. We've got to. But you won't know it if you don't, if you don't, if you don't read it. But bow your heads if you would. So Jesus is for you. Jesus is on your side. Jesus understands. Jesus has you and he has me. And nothing, nothing will ever separate us from him. In Romans 8, Paul says this, Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or trouble or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We were regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. 
For I am convinced, and here it is, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. But, believer, like, dude, are, are you tired of fighting? Are you to the point to where you're ready to give up? Man, submit yourself to him. Present yourself as an instrument of righteousness. Man, you have been set free. Jesus is ready to help you if you would let him. And I want to talk to those that may not know Christ this morning. Man, I hate to say it, but you are utterly alone in your struggles. Like, we can help you, but we're just men and we're just women. Man, if you don't know him, it is time to submit yourself to him. It is time to place your faith in him. It's time. Like, if you don't know God is your savior today, like, do not leave without talking to me. Let's change that today. If you are someone that needs help, that needs prayer uh, to overcome something, like find me or find some of the people that are going to be up here. Like, let's take care of this spiritual business today. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for the book of Romans. I thank you for these three verses. I'm thankful for exposing our enemy to us. God, I just ask that you would give us eyes to see the attacks where they're coming from. And I pray for us all that Jesus in us would fight those battles for us. I believe that's a promise. But I believe that's something that we need to choose to do. I pray that when we walk out of these doors that that you would do something in our lives to help us. I pray that you would give us a hunger and a desire to know you more. I pray for that passion to want to seek you for all of us here. God, we love you. We thank you. We pray this all in Jesus' name.